Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Edition of PFTPM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio. No Tuesday night football for the first straight week. No double headers to think about. No football games on when we're on. Just us for an hour talking football with the best running back in the NFL, Derek Henry, joining us in about 40 minutes. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you today? I'm a little tired tonight, Mike. I actually went to AT&T Stadium last night and got home far too late and, and got to bed late. But it was kind of fun to have a little bit of normalcy. You could have gotten some sleep during the game. Really? Yes, that's the truth. Yeah, it was horrible. I actually watched it all the way to the end because I'm so fascinated by Kyler Murray. It's almost like last year when the Ravens were destroying the Rams on Monday night. I felt compelled to keep watching because I wanted something more from Lamar Jackson. I felt that same way last night, that even when it was 28-10, 31-10, and it wasn't 38-10 until relatively late in the game, but once it was out of hand, I still wanted to watch it because I wanted to see more of Kyler Murray. That's the kind of player that the NFL has to embrace and get in primetime more often. And it was sort of like a train wreck from the Cowboys' standpoint. You just couldn't turn away because it's on the other side. I guess it was a car crash on the other side of the freeway, and you're rubbernecking to, to look to see how bad it was going to be for the Cowboys. And it was bad. Oh, was it bad. Well, we'll be talking about the aftermath of that game coming up because there are some Cowboys players, we don't know who, but they're talking off the record about some of their concerns about the organization at this point, even though they're in first place in the NFC East. And someone from that division, the Cowboys, the Eagles, Washington, or the Giants, will end up not just making the playoffs, but hosting a playoff game. The Miami Dolphins unexpectedly making a playoff run at 3-3 three and three through six games, so everything's fine. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been Fitzmagic. There's no reason to screw anything up. Don't tinker with the problem. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Throw any other cliches we want on top of the pile. Oh, wait. Tua Tagovailoa is replacing Fitzmagic as the starting quarterback. I've got some thoughts on this, Shereen. I'm going to defer to you. I've got some thoughts on why they're doing what they're doing and whether they should be doing it, but I'm very curious. What do you think about the move from Fitzpatrick to the fifth overall pick in the draft? Well, Mike, on the one hand, it's very surprising because they've won two games in a row and Ryan Fitzpatrick has done absolutely nothing to lose this job. He's completing over 70% of his passes. He's thrown for over 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns. He's played well enough for them to win and, and be where they are. And so if you're just looking at this season, you keep Ryan Fitzpatrick in there and you let him play. But on the other hand, the, the, the bye week is this week, and they have a chance to give him two weeks of practice to come back to say you're going to be our starting quarterback. So from that standpoint, it really makes a ton of sense. And look, to have a coach who you know is not going to get fired after this season, he can do this. He can let the young guy play and think about the future and not think about saving his job this year. Here's the way I look at it, very simply. I'm, I'm going to use the metaphor that I can relate to first and then get into more of the football analysis. Ryan Fitzpatrick lost this job the moment that the Dolphins used the fifth overall pick to take Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And here, here's the, the example that maybe some can relate to. 
We live kind of on the edge of civilization, so every once in a while, a mouse gets in the house. And my wife and my son sometimes are like, well, how do we get the mouse out without killing it? It's like, hang on. The mouse died the moment it came into the house. The question is, when does the mouse actually become dead? So it's either going to be through the trap in the basement or the trap in the garage or the, and we have a humane trap that we that we also use. So I'm, I'm, I'm being a little extreme and graphic with my metaphor. But the point is this. This was inevitable when Tua Tonga-Vailoa was picked by the Dolphins. And I've been saying all along, the sooner they throw him out there, the sooner he gets prepared to be competitive at some point down the road. Now, I understand Patrick Mahomes saddled almost all of the 2017 season and the Chiefs made it to the playoffs that year and he played one game and he was great the next year. But you know what? I still submit that if they had switched to Mahomes halfway through the season when the offense was sputtering, they may have been even better in 2017. We may have all been deprived of one hell of an impressive playoff run from this rookie quarterback who would have come in and done spectacular things. So I'm not saying what the Chiefs did was right. It worked, but it may have worked even better in 2017. I think the sooner you get the guy out there on the field, the better it is. This isn't about Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is about Tua Tonga-Vailoa is ready. And it was inevitable he was going to be ready and playing at some point this year, ideally, once they made him the fifth overall pick. And the thing about Fitzpatrick, you have to know when Fitzmagic is going to become Fitztragic because we know it's going to happen. And who better to know that it may be coming than the coaching staff that sees him every single day. And it's all about picking the right time to make that switch. It's Rocky Balboa switching back to Southpaw. The Dolphins think that this is the time to do it because they're in a position to be competitive. And if they can get an upgrade from Tonga Vailoa, and they got two weeks to get him ready because their bye got moved to this week and they got the Rams on the other side. Good luck, Tua. Welcome to the NFL, Tua. Here's Aaron Donald. But this is something that actually can help propel the Dolphins into postseason contention instead of let's see how it plays out with Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. He's earned the right to try to get to the playoffs. They're not baloney, baloney. They can put Tua in, get him valuable reps, and maybe turn this unexpected season of postseason contention into a playoff berth, Shereen. And no one better to groom Tua than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you saw when Tua came into the game on Sunday – Ryan Fitzpatrick was waving the towel and trying to get the small crowd that was there up on their feet and cheering him. There is going to be no bigger supporter of Tua than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He will be there supporting him, helping him in whatever way he needs. And, and that's terrific. And Mike, let's, let's review what the other two rookie quarterbacks have done. One drafted, obviously, before Tua and one drafted after Tua. So day one, the Bengals named Joe Burrow the starting quarterback, right? He come out comes out, plays all season, and has played well. I think we would all agree. The, the other one, Justin Herbert, was not supposed to start in for the Chargers, and he didn't in the first game. And then suddenly you have a doctor gone wild who sticks a needle in the wrong place in Tyrod Taylor, who, by the way, has not yet come back. And all of a sudden, Justin Herbert, your starter, goes in, plays well, wins the job when Tyrod Taylor was supposed to go back and get the job. How much do you think that the success of those other two quarterbacks maybe sped up this process, or were they always looking at the bye week? I think that when you see the other two guys who were taken one five spots before Tua, one right after Tua, when you see those guys play and thrive, 
I think that results potentially in pressure from the top of the organization working its way down the ladder. And the questions are coming. And when are we going to get Tua in? And when is Tua going to be ready? The belief in league circles is that Tua Tonga-Vailoa was an owner's draft pick. And that happens. We know that happens. The owners don't come out and say it because they don't want to come off as meddling. But there are times when the owner makes it known what he wants. And one of the privileges of being a billionaire is you don't have to give a direct order. You just have to be a little bit subtle. And the people who are employed by you, who would very much like to continue to be employed by you, will understand. The example I used when the Browns took Johnny Manziel in the first round back in 2014. Jimmy Haslam doesn't have to walk in the door and say, order a bag of Snickers. All he has to say is, I like that candy. What's that candy called? Snickers? I really like that. Then the next thing you know, Snickers are going to be falling out of every drawer and cabinet in the facility if people know what's good for them. So you don't have to come out and say it. And if you're Stephen Ross, you don't have to come out and say, put him on the field. All it takes is one well-placed question. And Chris Greer, the GM, gets the message. And Coach Brian Flores gets the message. And they get him ready. And he's good to go. And they see what happens. So I don't know whose decision this ultimately is. And it's not like Ross is ever going to say he made the call or initiated it. But the time had come to find out what he has. Because you know what, Shereen? Statistically, there's a chance he's the bust. Now, look, hey, maybe all three of the guys taking one, five, and six overall are going to become franchise quarterbacks, pro bowlers, Hall of Famers, best to ever play the game. But history tells us that there's a good chance one of them may not be very good. Now, 2004, it worked out well with Eli Manning and Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger taken in the first 11. But I'd become very antsy if I'm the Dolphins, seeing that the other two guys look like the real deal. I want to see if our guy is as well, especially because the guy we passed on is looking pretty damn good in Justin Herbert. What I find interesting, Mike, is two weeks ago, Tua didn't get in the game to a blowout late. And they asked Brian Flores about it, and he says, I don't see any point in putting him in late. I don't know what point that serves. So you fast forward to this week, same situation, and they put Tua in the game. And he throws two passes, and he looked good for the two passes he threw and what he did in the short time he was in there. But I'm curious if something changed in the last week where we're not going to put him in mop-up duty and get him any snaps and all of a sudden, yes, we're go- we are going to put him in mop-up duty and at least get some of those nerves out so he has some snaps and knows what to expect. I did find that very interesting and curious that, that it was almost the same situation two weeks in a row and a different response. And I think it's exciting that we're going to see what Tua has. One way or another, we're going to find out. He's going to – and that's the thing. With no preseason, you know, you can't tell much from the two snaps from last week. From With no preseason, he gets the start. Does he pass the eyeball test? Does he belong? How does he hold up? Can he stay healthy? That's the big question because he had three lower body injuries in his three seasons at Alabama, and one of the concerns after he had the hip fracture last year – was can he stay healthy at the NFL level we'll find out he's going to have to avoid contact that is job number one and that's something he didn't do at Alabama all right last night in the nightcap to the third Monday night doubleheader of the season and I have a feeling there will be more Cardinals beat the Cowboys 38 to 10 Dallas has given up 218 points through six games that's the most in the NFL since 1970 and now it's starting even though they're in first place in the worst division in football maybe the worst division we've ever seen in football 
unnamed Cowboys, according to Jane Slater, the embedded Cowboys reporter, employed by the league, partially employed by the Cowboys themselves. Let's call it what it is. She put this on Twitter today. Do we have the tweet? Because I don't have the language of it in front of me, but I can summarize while we get up. Oh, there it is. Cowboys players initially bought into keeping things internal. Now as they sit two and four, the discontent is leaking out. On the coaching staff, quote, totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. Another, quote, they just aren't good at their jobs, end quote. Now, here's the question in Dallas. Is it the players not very good? Is it the coaches not getting much out of the players? And usually this sets up, Shireen, conflict between coach, who says the players stink, and GM, who says players are fine, you stink. In Dallas, the dynamic's different because GM is owner. And in a roundabout way, and I'm not going to suggest that the Cowboys gave the nod to this report from the media company they partially own. I'm not suggesting they planted this report with the media company they partially own. All I'm saying is this. In the grand scheme of things, it actually helps Jerry and Stephen Jones for this to be out there because it shines the negative light on the coaching staff and it takes some of the heat off of them for rounding up a bunch of players who just aren't good enough. Mike, this is when you really miss the way it used to be, right? Um, I went to the game, and normally you would go down and you would get Jerry Jones, and I guarantee you he would have said something that made news. And those questions would have come up. How much confidence do you have in this coaching staff? That would have been one of the first questions because they don't look prepared. I don't care what you say, where they are or aren't, whether the offseason affected them or not, whatever – this does not look like a prepared football team. And they, besides giving up all those points, they're also their turnover ratio is the highest or lowest or however you want to phrase it. They're minus 12, and it's the worst uh, since the merger at this point in the season. They're just doing some bad things, things that bad football teams do, whether it's coaching, whether it's the players, whatever. And you can point to Dak all you want, but look, he's only missed one game. And so you can't spin all this and say, well, it's the absence of Dak. And I know they have some, a, a ton of other injuries, especially on the offensive line. I get that. This defense is awful. And there's so many awful things about this team. And you do wonder, is it coaching? Is it personnel? Is it both? This is a bad football team right now. And they're still in first place in the NFC East, which tells you all you want to know about that division. I have a feeling it's both, and I have a feeling it's going to continue. And Chris Sims and I talked about this today. I think it's going to be Philadelphia or Washington that ends up winning this division. Washington, if they go with Alex Smith. Otherwise, Philadelphia has shown us the past couple of years. They'll start slowly. They'll figure it out. They get some guys healthy, or they don't, as what happened last year. It was Carson Wentz and a bunch of no-names that found a way to close from 5-7 and seven to 9-7 and seven and win the division. But the Cowboys are definitely moving in the wrong direction, even though, Shereen, they're in first place. I don't think it's going to last unless they start figuring things out very quickly. And what I found interesting last night, listen to Mike McCarthy, he said, I'm still figuring out my team. Really? At this point in the season? I mean, I realize you didn't have an off-season program, but how are you still figuring out your team and what they do well? You should know this by now. I mean, you had six weeks of practice and you've had six games. How do you not know what your team is good at and what they're capable of? I, I just, I found that very curious last night listening to him say that. Yeah, and uh, look, the problem is it's meshing with some of the criticisms of McCarthy's time in Green Bay. The things that 
trickled out after he left. Those same issues now rearing their ugly head in Dallas, and we'll see whether or not the Cowboys can turn it around. We're going to take a break. we got a lot to do today. When we return, Michael David Smith is going to join us for Week 6 Awards. We're going to do a Steelers-Browns rewatch, and then it's Titans running back Derrick Henry who has to deal with the Steelers coming up this weekend. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. All right, time for the Week 6 Awards. MDS joining Shereen Williams and I. And let's just get right to it like we always do. Offensive Player of the Week, MDS, you're up first. What do you have? I have Matt Ryan. You know, the Falcons have been a disappointing team this year. But when Julio Jones is healthy, I still think he and Matt Ryan are as good a quarterback-receiver combination as the NFL has. You know, Ryan had 371 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Falcons blew the Vikings out. I thought he looked like the Matt Ryan of old. I have Jimmy G, Mike, and I just thought he rebounded great from the week before when he shouldn't have played because of that bad ankle. I love the word moxie. I just think he's got moxie. And he was 23 of 33 for 268 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, And it was a big win. None of us thought they were going to beat the Rams. They went out and got it done. And and I think the death of the NFC champions was greatly exaggerated at this point. Moxie is Steve Young's favorite word when things are going well. When things aren't going well, you're leaking oil. That's the Steve Young (laughs) go-to. But Moxie was there for Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers, Steve Young's former team. I'm going with Derrick Henry, and I'm not just pandering because he's joining us in about 20 minutes. He was phenomenal this weekend. He has that combination of power and strength and speed, which is incredible. On the long touchdown run, where he just continues to stretch the lead with defensive backs who are chasing him. Unbelievable what Henry has done. 212 rushing yards, 52 receiving yards. He had the long catch and run in overtime that set up the direct snap touchdown that won the game. Two touchdowns. He's incredible. He's notoriously been a slow starter. In past years, he didn't have nearly the touches he's on pace for this year. He's on pace for 393 rushing attempts almost 1900 yards and if he has the uptick we've seen in past years who knows where derrick henry is going to end up when the season concludes assuming he can hold up through this pounding that he's taking but you know what he's given out the pounding he's not taking it all right defensive player of the week mds who do you have i have a guy i don't think we've ever talked about here on the show and that's malik reed who made the broncos as an undrafted rookie last year And now this is the second consecutive year he's getting more playing time than expected because of injuries. And he's really made the most out of that. He sacked Cam Newton twice on Sunday. Vic Fangio kind of called him out and said, hey, this is the guy who's playing really well for us in a role we weren't expecting from him. I think Malik Reed deserves a lot of credit for stepping up in an unexpected situation. And since Shireen's connection is leaking oil, here's Vic Fangio talking about Malik Reed. put together uh, two good rushes there um they were rushes where we uh, had an extra guy or two in the rush which helped eliminate the quarterback's ability to step up and wiggle through a space there and uh, he took full advantage and there were two great plays by Emily welcome back Shireen who's your defensive player of the week <laughs> 
Well, you know, Buda Baker had played 50 games before last night, and he had never had an interception. And it took him throwing down CeeDee Lamb to the ground right in front of the officials who didn't throw the flag, and then he made a brilliant interception for his first interception of his career. But he played a great game. As Cliff Kingsbury said, he was all over the field. He had seven tackles, one tackle for loss, a sack, two quarterback hits. He was just everywhere and and finally got that interception. This is a guy I think is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Every week he comes up with a big play and he certainly did it last night against the Cowboys. It's one of the reasons I like being able to focus on one game at a time. You really get a sense of the defensive players especially who are making an impact, particularly in the secondary. They're around the ball a lot. You see their jerseys a lot after the play ends. You hear their names a lot and Buda Baker was that guy last night. For me, it was Jamel Dean, very simply. He did something that rarely ever happens, and it flipped what could have been a blowout win by the Packers into a blowout win by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He jumped the route. He had a pick six of Aaron Rodgers, who pointed out in his postgame press conference, that doesn't happen very often. Yes, we're aware of that, Aaron. We know you don't throw many pick sixes. And Jamel Dean pounced on that ball and took off. And, you know, I watched that play over and over again. I don't know what Aaron Rodgers was thinking. He patted the ball with some degree of confidence before he threw it, and then he threw it right to Dean. And Dean just took it and went the other way, exploded in the other direction, made it 10-7, then another interception up by Dean, but still 14-10, floodgates opened after that, and the Buccaneers win easily. Rookie of the week time, MDS, who do you have? I have DeAndre Swift, who prior to Sunday, the only thing people knew about him was that he had dropped a game-winning touchdown pass in week one in that awful Lions loss to the Bears. But this week, he had 116 rushing yards and two touchdowns and a win over the Jaguars. And here's a stat for you. Barry Sanders had 100 yards and two touchdowns 17 times in his 10-year career. In the 23 years since Barry Sanders retired, Lions running backs have only done that five times. DeAndre Swift is the fifth, and if you're getting mentioned with Barry Sanders, you're doing something right. This is the second time I've picked Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but I thought he was the MVP uh, of yesterday afternoon's game. He was just outstanding. Uh, and, he, and he did it again. And, you know, players say they don't read, they don't hear, they don't listen to outside noise, they don't hear anything that goes on outside. So I'm sure he has no idea that Le'Veon Bell will be coming in and showing up and putting Who? on a Chiefs uniform this week. Exactly. Uh, but he played great, and he looked like he doesn't care. He had 26 carries, 161 yards, and was terrific. Money well spent on Le'Veon Bell, even if he doesn't do anything, if in some way it has caused Clyde Edwards-Alaire to reach an extra level of performance, he's already contributing to the team, Le'Veon Bell is, even though he's not on it yet. So I agree with that. I'm going with C.D. Lamb. Shereen, you mentioned he got pushed down. Maybe it would have been catch number eight. He ended up with seven for 64 yards, making him the first receiver in NFL history to have five or more catches in each of his six games. I mean, you think of all the great receivers that have played, all the great rookies that have come in and made an immediate impact. For him to be the first one to have five or more catches in every game for six in a row is phenomenal. And he's on pace to challenge the rookie single-season reception record. He's on pace for 96. Anquan Bolden had 101 back in 2003. And he only needs 10 more to catch Bullet Bob Hayes for the rookie record for the Cowboys. That's amazing, too, when you think of the great rookies they've had whether it's Michael Irvin, Des Bryant had 45 in 2010, but it's Bob Hayes with 46. CeeDee Lamb, no matter what happens with the Cowboys, wins and losses, CeeDee Lamb is going to sail by that 46 sooner rather than later. All right, Coach of the Week time, MDS, who do you have? 
I have Brian Flores. Now, I made this selection before Flores shocked us all today by benching Ryan Fitzpatrick for Tua Tagovailoa. But I will say that Brian Flores has this team at 3-3, three and three, which I think is a real accomplishment because this really is a team, as Brian Flores showed with the quarterback switch, that's really built to win in a year or two years. It's not built to be a very good team right now, but they're playing pretty well at 3-3. Three and three. I won't be shocked if they're contending for a wild card, maybe even for the AFC East if Buffalo continues to struggle. Uh, Brian Flores, I think, has the Dolphins playing better football than we expected. I'm going to go with Mike Vrabel, who I think is playing chess while the rest of the league plays checkers. He learned from the best, of course, in, in Bill Belichick, and he wouldn't admit to the 12 men on the field penalty uh, that it was intentional, but we all know it was intentional, and he put on a great acting job after the penalty was called. As the clock's ticking down to three minutes, they already trail by one point. The Texans have a second and short. The chances of them picking that up are great, and maybe they don't try to pick it up on that down and wait for third down to go pick up that yard, but he stopped the clock with the penalty, and they end up getting the ball back, and they need almost every second that he saves. So great job by Mike Vrabel yet again using the rules in his favor. We played the clip earlier today on PFT Live of Vrabel being asked yesterday by reporters about that deliberate penalty and his response was we need to do a better job with penalties and my reaction was I think you're doing a pretty good job with penalties because that one penalty you intentionally took helped you stay close enough have the chance to go down score the touchdown the forced overtime and win the game MDS quick question for you before I unveil my coach of the week I got the impression that maybe you would have reconsidered Flores because of the decision to go with Tua are, are you not endorsing this move I'm not a big fan of that move. I think when you have a chance to contend for the playoffs, you go all out and try to make the playoffs. And I think the best chance of them to make the playoffs is with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I just wanted to be clear. I support and endorse the decision to go with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. You make him the fifth overall pick in the draft. Let's see what he can do. We saw what the Broncos could do on Sunday. They went to New England and they beat the Patriots. And this is a team that's been jerked around by COVID circumstance. This game was set three different times, a Sunday, then a Monday. Then they kicked it to a following Sunday. And their bye week wasn't really a bye week because they were getting ready for a game. So he's got to keep his players under control. Running backs coach Curtis Motkins test positive for COVID-19 during all of this. So you've got uncertainty that's swirling around your locker room. He kept everything properly focused. He took a quarterback who's only in his second year into New England and beat Bill Belichick. First time since Kurt Warner in 2001 that a quarterback threw multiple interceptions at New England and still his team won the game. Now, I talked to Fangio after the game. He wasn't happy about Drew Locke basically throwing it up for grabs a couple of times. He wasn't happy with six field goals instead of touchdowns because he knows that's not going to fly this weekend when the Chiefs come to town. But for Fangio to go in there and take care of the Patriots and Belichick and also to hold off what kind of felt like an inevitable Patriots comeback to really get everyone to stick together and not give in when the momentum swung New England's way. I think Fangio did a great job. All right, MDS, great job to you. We're going to say farewell until next week because now it's time for Shireen and I to get to the rewatch from week six. So MDS, thanks as always, and we'll talk to him soon. Now, Shireen, let's get to 
the rewatch. I picked the game this week. It wasn't an exciting game. You thought I was going to go Texans-Titans, but I was I far more fascinated by what happened with the Steelers and the Browns because I thought the Browns were going to win. I thought it was time. I thought they were ready. And uh, newsflash, they weren't. Let's break it down as we always do, starting with the best player on the field. Who did you think was the best guy out there after taking another look at that game? Well, Mike, I'm with you. I went in and looked at the schedule, and I thought this was going to be the best, absolute best game of the weekend and really wanted to see it. And I didn't get to see a single plate live. Obviously went back and rewatched it late last night. Um, and I just thought that defense was the key for the Steelers. And I picked Bud Dupree, but I, I'm saying that, t- you know, T.J. Watt, Tewitt, Hayward – you could have picked any of those guys, but it seemed like every time I looked up, Bud Dupree was somewhere doing something, and he had four tackles and and two sacks. And, you know, we talked about that Washington front seven where you just keep rolling people in and they get after the quarterback. This one's way better. And not all of these guys are first-round picks. I realize a lot of them are high picks. and But they just keep rolling them in there at you and making plays and making plays and making plays. And they just made it really difficult on that Browns offense. They just couldn't seem to get anything going. Whether it was a rib injury or not, I guess we'll find out the next time the Browns and Steelers play. But I thought they made that Steelers offense look absolutely ordinary. I'm going to go with James Conner because I had to pick somebody from the offensive side of the ball to balance out your selection. And I'm going to talk about Roethlisberger in a second. Chase Claypool had another big game, but James Conner got 100 rushing yards. And the Browns brought in the premier running attack in the NFL, at least before that game. The most they could muster was 40 yards from Kareem Hunt. And, and for Connor, who's in a contract year, there's been no talk about the Steelers extending him. He's had to fend off Benny Snell, who had a big game week one when Connor got injured, and that got Connor back on the field pretty quickly, and he's been really good ever since. You know, the narrative with Connor was right out of the gates, hey, this guy's pretty good. Then he tailed off, and now we're not sure where he is. 20 carries, 101 yards, 5.1 yards per carry, a touchdown. In a game where it was old school, grinded out, run and stop the run he provided that consistency where the chains are moving the ball is pushing down the field and that's the ingredient that the Steelers needed to keep scoring points when the Browns couldn't it wasn't punt 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 it was the Steelers sustaining drives scoring points only 162 yards in the passing game and it was Connor that made the passing game unnecessary on that day in Pittsburgh and so he gets my my call for the player of the game. All right, next category here, Shireen. What is the next category? A player who was better, better. than it seemed on Sunday. Who do you got? Well, we had a number of storylines going into this game, Mike, but one of the big ones was Miles Garrett returning to Pittsburgh, returning to the scene of the crime, right? And it was kind of ironic that at the end of the game, Mason Rudolph comes in the game, replaces Ben Roethlisberger, and Miles Garrett isn't anywhere to be found. And he wasn't anywhere to be found for most of the day. And the reason was the bigs, as the Steelers call their offensive line. The bigs did a number on Miles Garrett, and he had one sack, but it was they were already down 24-7, I think, at that point. The game was already really out of reach uh, when Miles made his – uh, sack and he just wasn't around the ball very much you know the, I just kept watching a couple times the isolated plays I was just watching him and what he did and they did a number on him I mean start to finish sometimes he wasn't double team Okafor did a great job uh, and that whole offensive line kudos to them because uh, they stopped one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and Miles Garrett had six sacks coming in and finished with one 
And I'll tell you what, for me, and I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball from the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, when you see the numbers, this is one of those games where you look at anything, eh, yeah, 162 passing yards, sacked a couple of times, threw a touchdown pass, only threw 22 passes. He really didn't have a big game. But you know what? He had two throws that helped deliver the dagger early to the Browns. And and he he is so good at manipulating a defense with his eyes and his body language. The long throw to Claypool down the left sideline, there was a single high safety, Andrew Sandejo, playing deep center field. And all it took was Ben Roethlisberger turning his head in the direction of the right side of the field to get Sandejo out of position, triggered single coverage for Chase Claypool. Attention, defenses, don't single cover Chase Claypool or you will pay. And they made the Browns pay, and that was almost a touchdown. And then the James Washington touchdown that that uh, Roethlisberger threw. It was a pump fake one direction, went back the other way, Washington wide open. So, you know, it's good that they don't need to use Roethlisberger that extensively and still win a game easily. There's going to be a game where they're going to need him. There's going to be plenty of games where they're going to need him, and he's shown he can still get it done, Shereen, at a very high level. So I was very impressed with him, even though the numbers don't scream out that he had a huge day. All right, who had a day that they would like to forget, Shereen? Well, I think the two candidates are fairly obvious, but Baker Mayfield, you know, he said, my mama didn't raise a wuss, and he did show uh, All right, Shireen will be back in a second. I'm going to go with Kevin Stefanski. I'll let Shireen finish her point when we get her back. Kevin Stefanski told me after they beat the Dallas Cowboys that it's on him to get the ball in Odo Beckham Jr.'s hands early in the game. And he didn't, period. They didn't get the ball to Odo Beckham Jr. Run him on a jet sweep, line him up in the backfield, use motion, do anything, but you got to get the ball in his hands because what happened was as the game fell apart, we saw frustration from OBJ for the first time this year. And I think Kevin Stefanski, if he was being candid, would say, I should have designed the game plan early to get Beckham involved. Don't try to use him as a decoy. Get the ball in his hands. See what he can do. See if he can provide a spark. Also, as it relates to Baker Mayfield, I think that Mayfield should have been removed sooner, possibly shouldn't have played at all. And uh, do we have Stefanski explaining why he, he pulled Baker when he did? Here's Stefanski explaining why he eventually got Mayfield out of the game. Baker there you know I just I didn't want to see him get hit one more time and that's uh, I put that on myself uh, went into this game knowing we had to keep him clean and we didn't do a good enough job so that that starts with me obviously and he's a very very tough player and and uh, I know he wants to fight but it's a long season we had a game next week and I didn't feel like it was the right thing to put him back out there I agree with getting him out of the game I just think they should have gotten him out of the game sooner or maybe not played him at all, because I still think they would have been fine with Case Keenum, who knows the offense and who had a very special season with Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota when Keenum came in for Sam Bradford, and Stefanski was the position coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Here's what we're going to do, because Shireen's connection continues to leak oil. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we'll have Shireen, and we'll have Derrick Henry, the NFL's leading rusher, who is in the midst of his best season so far in the NFL. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, it's PFTPM. We are working on getting Shereen Williams back, and Derrick Henry will be joining us momentarily, the leading rusher in the National Football League. He has been incredible. 
He has uh, multiple 90-yard runs in his career. Remember the 99-yarder in 2018 against the Jaguars? And that was really when he first began to get our attention as a guy who was going to live up to his potential. His first two years in the NFL, he was splitting carries with DeMarco Murray. And the first year in the NFL, Henry didn't have many carries at all. It was all Murray. It was more of a split between the two in 2017. Then it was 2018 where it really started to kick in for Derrick Henry later in the season. And then 2019, that's when he went next level. And now, you know, they say, be careful when you pay a running back. He may not be as good as he was before he got paid. Derrick Henry's actually better. He's already earning that contract over and over again. And when you look at the situation that the Titans were in after getting to the AFC Championship game with Ryan Tannehill, with Derrick Henry, both scheduled to become free agents, they used the franchise tag on Henry. They got the deal done with Tannehill. Then they got the deal done with Henry. And the concern was, you know... Maybe they won't be able to duplicate what they did last year. Maybe there was something fluky to it. No, 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 nothing fluky. They're 5-0, and and they're driven by their offense. They got some defensive issues based upon the way that they let the Texans back into the game over the weekend, but the offense is phenomenal. So coming this weekend, great offense against an awesome defense in Pittsburgh. Shereen Williams joins us now as we wait for Derrick Henry to, t- to call in. Uh, Shereen, good to see you again. I hope it continues for the next 20 minutes or so. I understand how these technological things work, but you know, we've got this, uh, what, immovable object and irresistible force, as Newton would call it, in the Steelers' defense and the Titans' offense, and uh, I can't wait to see how this game plays out. Both teams 5-0, and game of the weekend coming up on Sunday. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how the Titans handle that Steelers defense. And it's probably going to be a big Ryan Tannehill game because I'm not letting Derrick Henry beat me. And I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to let Derrick Henry beat him. I think they're going to put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands and say, if you can beat us, beat us. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Sometimes you try to take away what the other team does best. And sometimes you can. And sometimes you can't it's easy to draw up the X's and the O's and Sims talks about this all the time. You've got your plan when it's on the whiteboard, but when it's time to go do it, it's not quite the same because once Derrick Henry gets a couple steps, he's hard to bring down. And I know that that Steelers defense is tough and it's gritty and it's physical, but he knows it too. He's going to be bringing it like he never has before. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens, what gives when the Steelers go to Tennessee. And remember, this was the original game that was postponed because of COVID-19, bumped to week seven, and now it's 10, 15, 20 times bigger than it would have been if they had played it back when it was originally scheduled, Shereen. And I'm curious, Mike, too, how is Devin Bush's absence going to affect the Steelers' defense? Because he was playing at such a high level. I mean, he'd been playing great football. And for him to leave the lineup, you know, you can put somebody else in and it is next man up. But the next man up isn't always as good as the last man who left. Yeah, next man up's next man up for a reason. Right. If, if, if he was if he was the best player, he'd already been out on the field. And I understand the attitude that the best teams have, that the next man up is expected to come in and play like the guy that he's replacing. But but there's a reason guys are on the first string and guys are on the second string. So this is going to be a challenge for the Steelers collectively to find a way to step up and get it done. And back to a point that we were talking about earlier, because we didn't get to the plays that stood out from that Steelers Browns game. For me, it was that Minka Fitzpatrick pick six one thing I noticed in watching that game and and I think that the CBS camera angle was a little broader than than usual and you could see the full secondary there was there was an intangible 
quality to the Steelers' defense. There was a swagger in their pre-snap movements, if that makes any sense at all, where there was just a confidence there that they knew where to be, when to be there, what to do. And I really do think that Minka Fitzpatrick knew what was coming on that play. He knew exactly where to be before the snap. He went there, he caught the ball, and he scored the touchdown. And I sense that same confidence throughout the game coming from the Steelers' defense, especially the back half of that that attack. Yeah, and you know, Mike, when he arrived from Miami, he made all of those big plays, and he has not made them this year. And people were asking questions, where are all those big plays? And Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, said, hey, they're going to come. They did. He was right on that. He made the big one. It was the biggest play of the game. They're suddenly up 10 nothing, and that game pretty much was over at that point with Baker having his rib injury. They tell us we have Derrick Henry. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, the NFL's current leading rusher and the modern-day Jim Brown, Earl Campbell, all wrapped up into one. Derrick Henry, we'll talk to him right after this on PFT PM. He wears you down. He's capable, and they're capable of winning by attrition. Uh, as you saw last week, he's also big play capable. It's really astounding that a back his size is capable of, of going to the house just about every time he touches it. Yes, it is Mike Tomlin, and we have that running back right here. A great combination of size and power and flat-out speed. He's the NFL's current rushing leader, member of Tennessee Titans, Derek Henry. Derek, good afternoon. How are you, buddy? Doing good. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Now, Mike Tomlin trying to butter you up a little bit as we get ready for the game on Sunday. What have you seen about the Steelers' defense that has gotten your attention as you get ready for the game? Um, you know, I've known about the Steelers' defense since I was a little kid, you know, watching football. They always had guys that are stout, big up front, um, physical linebackers that are fast, and guys in the secondary that are willing to, you know, make tackles, uh, you know, get, get turnovers. So, you know, they got a, a great defense. Guys are playing great together collectively. Um, they're, they're physical. And um, they're doing a great job this year. So it's going to be a big matchup, a big game. And um, I look forward to, you know, playing against those guys. Derek, the Steelers and Oilers back in the day played some huge games. And the Oilers, of course, had the greatest running back in your organization's history in Earl Campbell. I'm just curious. You've been compared to Earl Campbell a lot. Have you seen any videos, old videos of Earl Campbell? And, and what do you think of that comparison? Yeah, uh, it's so funny. When I was a kid, I used to watch NFL Network a lot. And they used to have like countdowns of the greatest backs in NFL history. And um, I knew I, I knew a little bit about, about running backs. I don't forget position, but it was it was so funny when Earl Campbell um came on the screen. I was like, oh my god, just running through everybody. Everybody was just falling. He had big legs. Everybody was bouncing off of them. And you know, I was just in awe whenever I you know seen that that clip and got to meet him, got to talk to him a couple of times. Um, we came to an organization. I seen him make some signing. So it was just pretty cool to see a guy that you. You know, you, you grew up looking highlights and hearing about all the greatness and then getting to meet him in person was very cool. Well, Derek, you're creating your own highlight reel now, especially with the stiff arms. And we saw the one last Tuesday night, everyone did, of Josh Norman. From your perspective, though, is it more gratifying when you get to stiff arm someone or when you see a guy make that business decision to get out of your way? Um, I think... To, to me, it's just me, um, you know, because I work on things that I do well a lot. 
all the time in practice and you know coach Raymond puts heavy emphasis on on things that you know that we're good at so we, we can be even better so I work on the stiff arm catching the ball just all the things that you know, I want to improve on so it's just to me it's I, I'm, I'm happy that it actually worked and I was able to use it to my advantage and you know if the defender wants to go high and wants to try my stiff arm then I'm definitely gonna use it. Derek, you led the league in rushing last season. You're leading it in rushing this season. LaDainian Tomlinson is the last guy to do it in back-to-back years in 2006 and 2007. He won the MVP award in 2006. The only other running back to win it since then is Adrian Peterson. You think it's time that we start putting you in that conversation with all those quarterbacks we always talk about? Oh, well, LT, that's one of my my favorites all time, man. I'm a, a big LT fan. Watched him since I was a kid. And all the you know all the MVP MVP conversations. I you know I'm just focus on what I need to do to help my team, man. And you know just keep working, keep focus on getting better. You know I don't really get caught up in all that hype. You know off of off of one game. Um, I just want to focus on what I can do better to help my team. Um, us continue to grow as a team and um, keep moving forward as the season goes on. You know, Derek, as your career has gone on, you've gotten a greater and greater workload every year. First two years, you shared touches with DeMarco Murray. Now you're on pace for 393 rushing attempts. What's your ideal total attempts per game and for a full season? Um, I don't really look at the numbers and, you know, what's projected or how many carries I'm getting. You know, like I said, I'm all about team, man, so if – that's what it takes for me to help my team win or, you know, for me to have an impact on the season to help us get where we want to go, then I'm all for it, man. And, you know, anything I can do to help the team, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always with it. You know, I know my teammates know that, my coaches know that. So whatever it takes, whatever it takes is always the mentality. Derek, Mike just mentioned that you did share those carries early in your career with DeMarco Murray. He's now a college running backs coach, obviously a big time assistant coach. I'm just curious if you learned anything from him early in your career and, and just sitting back and watching sometimes on the sideline, did that save you from some of the wear and tear maybe early in your career? Um, yeah, man, DeMarco was a, a real pro, um, came to work every day. Um, very smart. Um, uh, blue collar guy and um you know came came to work and approached it like like a business uh, each and every day so just watching him you know I learned a lot from him you know those uh those first two years and you know him being a college coach is no shock he knows the game in and out he's a very smart guy and um can be a big impact when guys coming to college um from high school to help them you know get where they want to go so I can't think of nobody better to you know be a running backs coach of how much knowledge he has for the game and um definitely you know not having a big heavy load the first two years of you know help any running back just uh, the position is so physical and um you know I, I would say it definitely helped me you know by those first two years not getting a heavy load Derek joins us today thanks to Dr. Teal's Epsom Salt Soaks. Salt, let me try that again. Dr. Teal's Epsom Salt Soaks. How does that help you after a game like the one that you had on Sunday? Uh, it helps a lot. Um, that's one of the things I use to uh, get my body back under me, you know, after a game, especially like y'all mentioned, getting a heavy workload. So I use as much as I can, you know, try to soak uh, twice or three times a week with the Epsom Salt. Um, just, just sit in the bathtub and and warm water and just letting it, you know, work, work for my body, recharge my body, get my muscles back, back recovered and, um, whole body back recovered. So that's something I use weekly 
um, week after week uh, during the season, you know, because, um, you know, running backs, we get our, you know, our body uh, takes hits a lot. So I use Epsom salt and Dr. Tills is the best out there. So I definitely recommend if anybody hasn't used it to go out there and use it because it definitely gets your body back right and you'll feel good. Derek, you guys had the, the COVID outbreak, obviously, and you seemed to get through that just fine. You came out and played great despite having little practice time. Did that affect you or your teammates at all as your guys can't practice and you're just doing the virtual meetings? Um, no, I think we all just wanted to get back to ball. Um, you know, just doing all the things that we needed to do to get back in the building, get back together, and get back to playing football. And um, and that, that's all I was waiting on, just working out, um, doing what we could until we got the word that we could all get back together, practice, and get ready for preparation for a game and, you know, do all, do all, do all those things until we were able to get back out there and play. Derek, we're down to the last minute, so we really appreciate some of your time today, and we appreciate Dr. Teal's Epsom salt soak. See, I got it right that time. I got to ask you this before I let you go, though. You were there when Ryan Tannehill joined the team as a backup. Comparing what he was when he walked through the door to where he is now, what changes have you seen? Um, you know, I think whenever he came, he just approached, you know, practice or the preparation as a starter. Um, we know what 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 he's done in Miami, so we know he had that that type of ability. And then from the time that he you know he he came in and took over for the position, just been a general. Like I said earlier in the interview after Sunday, he's been spectacular. Just telling guys where they need to be, communicating. Um, uh, we, we see the throws, we see the plays he makes in the game, and you know, I think that's where the MVP conversation needs to start with Ryan Tannehill. Well, Derek, we appreciate it. Maybe it would be co-MVPs, Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry. The way you guys are going, I wouldn't rule out anything. Again, thanks to you. Thanks to Dr. Teal's Epsom Salt Soak. And good luck this weekend with the Pittsburgh Steelers coming to town. It should be a great game. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Y'all take care. Thank you. All right. There he is, Derek Henry, one of the absolute best running backs in the NFL right now. The best right now. One of the best ever, potentially, Shereen. He keeps on this trajectory. He will be up there in that pantheon with the all-time greats. Uh, he certainly will. And, and to me, he does compare to Earl Campbell. And I have him on that trajectory of Earl Campbell. He just looks a lot like him. Fortunately for all running backs out there, he can't do to a linebacker what Isaiah Robertson had happened to him when Earl Campbell yes. put his helmet into Isaiah Robertson's stomach. And, and Jack Lambert told Steelers coaches the next week, don't show that film ever again. We don't want to see that from Earl Campbell. All right, thanks for some of your time. We'll see you back here on Wednesday with another edition of PFTPM. Have a great evening. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. 
available starting early 2024. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution.